0: Podcast, guys, takes a long view and a long price. Spoilers will be commonplace. Please be scared and confused.
1: Good morning, faithful reader.
0: Welcome, fortunate seeker.
1: This is Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata.
0: Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil, where
1: a historian and a literature scholar tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as Are Callows just full of devils? Will we ever learn more about this mysterious Lieutenant Kim? Never mind.
0: And uh, have you ever seen Peter Jackson's King Kong?
1: Oh, because of the ape? Weirdly, no.
0: Hyrants do not lose. We face temporary setbacks. Dread Empress, Maledicta, 2. So, is Catherine a tyrant?
1: Is Catherine a, a... capital T tyrant? No. Lowercase t tyrant? Also no, probably, except later on, maybe a bit.
0: It's hard to tell what I mean because the Dread Empress started a sentence with the word tyrant, which is, frankly, pretty evil, and means she's doing well. But I ask because in this chapter, Kat doesn't lose. But she does face a temporary setback of having her people slaughtered, losing the entire train of wounded, and, oh yeah, just straight up half-dying again?
1: Only half, though, so what's the big deal?
0: The big deal is a snake, but we'll get there later. Uh, This is a battle against devils, and that's the whole of the chapter. I've covered every point of
1: overview interest with just that. And like with all battle-focused chapters, that does not mean that it's not interesting or engaging. It just means that from a hey, let's summarize where the plot's going, there's basically nothing to say, which is fine. You know, you got to have battle chapters and a thing about a, a, a story about a war. But the summaries just sound very distant, I guess.
0: So let's zoom in. Last chapter ended with devils bursting from everywhere. Firefly devils, and maybe that was it mentioned. I have to check.
1: I think it was just the firefly devil at the very end.
0: The last chapter ended as Catherine yelled ambush, the wounded started being torn apart, and a swarm of devils clustered in the trees. Instead of that immediately bursting into pitched battle, however, there was enough time as Catherine fled to have a little bit of, you know, fun commentary. This could have been a pleasant evening, you know, I complained out loud. Sure, the blood-colored moon is a bit of a mood killer, but when's the last time I just went for a ride? Great job, Catherine. Really trying to stay a witty protagonist so you don't get killed. And you know what? It works. Partially. 80%. 70
1: 68.3%. we are being very generous to Kat today, huh?
0: I have not always been kind to Catherine Foundling. And Catherine Foundling has not been nice to the world and will not start. Also saves it. So, you know how you regularly say I am as brave and powerful as Catherine Foundling? I could do all things that she has done so far in the series. I do recall saying that. Well, Catherine encounters a snake and a snake devil to be clear, but it's still just a snake. And for some reason, she says, Oh God, no, not a snake. And that's not a big deal. I'm not even afraid of snakes. So I'm actually better than Catherine.
1: Oh, Hey, good for you. I'm honestly, this is why I chose you to be my co-host because you're not afraid of snakes.
0: I'm so sorry. I did not prepare for this episode, and I just read the next sentence, and I, I, I need to take this back. Or,
1: well, no, I'm I'm not afraid of snakes. Snakes okay, good. are cool. I was worried about the fate of the podcast, but glad to hear that.
0: But apparently, this it is. It's not. Oh, gods, no, not a snake. It's oh, gods, no, not a snake. But rather, she says, I'd seen centipedes before. But this one was large as a small horse and covered in small pincers all over its length. And if I were her, I would have died at the sight, Because centipedes.
1: Yeah. Don't need those being bigger than they already are. But at
0: least, you know, you can't make anything more horrifying than a centipede. And I know I'm setting you up to say why this is more horrifying than a centipede, but I actually mean it. Because come on.
1: Um... The pincers on this centipede are forming the patterns that look like human faces that are screaming and weeping. I think that might be worse than a normal horse-sized centipede. I believe my co-host has died at the site. Or rather, the imagined site. That's really too bad. Catherine can hear what it is that they are trying to say, but she stops herself before she can really interpret it. uh, As the voices can be made out she says no thank you more or less which i have to say is absolutely the right call if the pincers forming human faces on the back of a giant centipede are talking they cannot be saying anything that's good for your you for your for your you
0: actually maybe i am better than Catherine. oh Catherine leaps zombie over the beast as it as its front rears up and opens into a jaw lined with four weeping thorns that snap at the horse's tail, gross. And she says that the spark of guilt she'd used to get when stepping on centipedes was gone permanently.
1: And uh, the the
0: spark of what?
1: Exactly. I haven't felt that because I'm decent. Stepping on a centipede is kind of gross, but guilt. I feel satisfaction when I kill a centipede. <laughs>
0: I often feel satisfaction when I hear Catherine retort when someone impugns her mother's honor with, I don't have a mother, I'm an orphan, haha. That's great, you know? Mm-hmm. Just a, uh, oh, you've attempted to offend me when it's not a category that is offensive because I can't. And that's great. Here, she fails. One of the devils calls out to her sing song and it sends a shiver up her spine little girl and she says i'm 17 you prick like we over infantilize people approaching the age of 18 not infrequently Mm -hmm. but that acknowledged i am on record and i stand by it as saying that under 25 stop you're you shouldn't be in public you are a baby Catherine's a little girl and also should not be allowed in public
1: the flip side of that, or maybe not the flip side, another layer of that is if somebody says little girl and your response is I'm seventeen, it's very similar to if to people who are insecure about their height being very specific down to the fraction of the inch. Where you know the if I'm five six and one fourth. Yeah, I'm I'm five eight and a third, thank you. It's like okay, once once you start I'm 17, thank you. That's not little, you know. Once once you start getting into the that specific, throwing numbers back as a response, like trying to what pedantry your way out of an insult, you've you, You've admitted that they are right. <laughs> not that I would ever insult somebody for being shorter than me by you know a quarter of an inch or whatever, but the what's really interesting about this is much like my co-host, devils
0: are supposed to be mindless. Oh wowzers. Hortent, Augury, Omen, and other such affairs. It's time for Deicide and Applied Blasphemy.
1: Deicide and Applied Blasphemy is our segment where we discuss comments and questions from you, our dear listeners. We have falsely assumed the thrones of your gods, and we invite you in this segment to challenge us for the mantles. You will not succeed, and we will continue on, unceasing and unerring.
0: Having failed to learn any lesson, Monty once again emailed us at thelongprice at gmail.com with some notes on one of the major antagonists of the story and one of the most evil forces in the world. That's right, we're talking about Aquia, Sahelian, and Billy. On the subject of Billy, we had been somewhat openly uncomfortable with his wonderful and correct act of freeing the slaves, which is a very good thing, even though he is the worst. And Monty has helped set this into clarity, because, we are told, William didn't free the slaves out of any kindness, but instead, quote, he freed them so that his army didn't have to waste manpower killing those slaves in battle. So William obviously must have performed this act only in accordance to his own vile, wicked goals. Monty, despite your frail, limited, and, frankly, myopic station in life in comparison to our own, you have been granted a flash of insight. Indeed! William cannot act but to be the absolute worst. See again, elbow deep in the meat.
1: The meat.
0: And here, we see that, instead of proving himself to be a man of manumission, William's just elbowing himself further
1: into that meat of evil. But Monty... Also, wrote to us about another person who interacted heavily with slaves in the last couple of chapters, and that is Ubwa. Monty writes about Ubwa's slave keeping and our discussion, and also the in book discussion about how Brace isn't huge on slavery and yet Ubwa gets away with it, and there's a whole mess. Uh, Listen to the episodes if you're not sure what we're talking about. And Monty says that they would have expected Prace to be very anti-slavery given that they value personal freedom, uh, especially Oobla, who is a pretty pracy-pracy, if, you know, a bit more successful than many in many ways. Um, And Monty expresses surprise that Uba gets away with what she does, and uh, Monty goes on to say that... They think that that's because the Empress knew about her crimes, but decided not to act. Maybe the Empress allowed Uba to commit these crimes, either to catch her in one big act, or to allow Uba to finish her super weapon and then steal it. Still, pretty interesting nonetheless. I agree. I think it is interesting. I have another proposal, and that is, perhaps, my growing theory that Uba is in fact utterly delusional about many, many things is, you know, more confirmed here and that militia agrees with me and is sort of just letting this megalomaniacal warlord run free until she tears herself down megalomaniacal warlord slash kid right this this child uh, or until she has the space to have her destroyed without it causing problems with other high seats, or till she can sick black on... You know, there's a number of things, but it may be less about catching her in a big act or stealing the weapon. It may just be she doesn't consider Uba to be the threat that she acts, you know, like she is because she's so out of touch with the world. If I'm seeing it, surely Militia can and is acting on it properly, right? Militia doesn't make mistakes. You're thinking of Juniper. Oh, right. Juniper never makes mistakes. Militia makes... Certainly decisions. She definitely makes decisions. I think I'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to argue against that. I'd really like to.
0: And yet, I hear the music winding down. Uh-oh. Are you properly cowed by our display of majesty? Are you perhaps still recalcitrant? You have delusions that you could fare better than this discarded heap of ash that used to be Monty. Why don't you write into us? You can email us at thelongprice at gmail.com. Check out our posts on reddit.com slash art slash guide to evil. Or check out our Twitter, even though Elon Musk is the worst and Twitter is terrible, at thelongprice. As
1: always, you know, thanks, Monty. This was great. But we stand unvanquished. Cat's uh, concerned because the devils have set up a couple ambushes and are uh, moving in a way that indicates some level of forward thinking. And, yeah, so she says, I thought devils were supposed to be mindless, which is an interesting point to arrive at after something that even animals can do when devils have been talking to her so far. Uh, mindless things don't tend to talk, I think. And Clearly, you've never watched there. a presidential debate. Nice, right, there it is. <laughs> Very good. Uh, especially, and you could say, oh, random, random babble or something, but they are specifically gendering Catherine correctly, for instance, which doesn't feel very mindless.
0: And Catherine is led then to question how long these devils have been around if they're so clearly not mindless. They're thinking ahead that much, she says, because devils wax in intelligence as they remain summoned. And, you know, it's really unfair. Catherine gets a half-legion that is currently kind of beaten up, pretty beaten up, Has almost no battlefield experience, and now they get attacked by a horde of devils preceding a demon, and they don't even get normal devils. They're fighting super devils. She does not catch a break, but she'll get a few breaks later this chapter foreshadowing.
1: And the lack of breaks continues as, yep, the devils are super powered and extra smart, she's getting mauled. Well, I guess not yet. She's worried about getting mauled. And then she starts to piece together what this battlefield looks like, if you can even be so generous as to call it a battle. Uh, She has to figure out how to save her cohort, her reinforcing cohort, and her wounded, who also have their supplies. And she has to make a very difficult decision and says to herself, I couldn't save everyone. I couldn't even save most. And then gallops for the uninjured cohort with a god's forgive me and that is brutal she has the wounded who are not defenseless but have less defenses than a functioning cohort and she has to choose to literally just abandon them to their death because she didn't have the ability to save two groups of people
0: i'm not making a claim that language works this way but it's it it's fun and interesting You said it's not really a battlefield, and you're right. But what's the German word for battlefield? I don't know. You should respond with schlachtfeld. Schlachtfeld. Right, schlachtfeld, a field of schlacht. Now, this word just means battlefield, but word die schlacht, the field of schlacht, schlacht usually means battle, but it's related to the verb schlachten, more or less to schlacht. Which means to slaughter or butcher. In German, a battlefield is a slaughter field, a butcher field.
1: Well, then in the German translation of The Practical Guide to Evil, this this scene makes a lot more sense, I think. Actually, I've been reading
0: the German translation as we've been going. That hasn't been a problem yet, has
1: it? Uh, I don't think so.
0: Good. So anyway, Katharina Foundling rides back to the battle and sees that the troops are kind of doing badly because looks like a devil just kind of showed up in the middle of their group oops Uh oh kind of humanoid in filthy rags, but a jackal's head sprouting from the back of its head and says catherine from the looks of it its grip was strong enough to pull apart steel and crush bones and i love her phrasing here you know from the looks of it the looks of it being either she sees it pulling apart steel and crushing bones or she sees pulled apart steel, crushed bones, and the devil standing by. And either way, A+. plus. I, I love how she goes with, but I can't be certain, you know? This is how it appeared to me. She's a very responsible reporter.
1: That's true, yeah. It, you know, you can't be sure. Maybe the steel has pulled itself apart and the bones are crushing themselves. That would be corrupt. The Maybe this is the demon. Maybe but I don't think so since cat kind of just kills it. Well, who's to say evil can't kill a demon, the Corinthian man, two episodes ago. Yeah. A while ago, the, uh, the squire here is now with her soldiers and is trying to get things organized to get people out of here, because that's really the only option at this point and finds out that her tribune is already dead. And she finds this out from her, uh, her nearby soldiers, um, her captain, who I think, thanks to the shock of losing so many soldiers and also devils being around, just is weirdly specific. Normally, when you report, yes, this other person in our army is dead, you can just leave it at that because you don't need anything else. But, uh, when Kat says that they're going to push forward to take the pressure off Tribune Galia, her captain says, she's dead, ma'am. Some sort of giant snake creature burst out of the ground and swallowed her whole. And then there's like a follow up to this about the other captain where a firefly landed on his eye and burst through his skull.
0: You would not believe your eyes if, if the devil burst your eye. That was very good. The, I'm actually, Owl City.
1: Oh, the the specificity here is definitely more than you would need. The uh, giant snake creature. It it works because it's a little bit of, like, maybe not foreshadowing, but a hint of what's to come. But in the moment, it definitely reads, like, I am so horrified that I just am babbling. Which, honestly, fair enough.
0: In that kind of situation, even someone with a name would have to recoil. At least a little bit.
1: And by recoil, you mean maybe clench?
0: Well, there are only a few body parts you can clench. Which one's this one?
1: It's fingers,
0: of course. Air horn sound, air horn sound, air horn sound.
1: And two chapters in a row, we are picking up the pace. I love it. This is Honestly, this is why we did this entire podcast, so I have an excuse to count these.
0: It's going to be a Fibonacci-style thing, right? I don't know how the Fibonacci sequence works under one, if you can even make it to happen. But now that we're here, we'll just keep scaling up. Right. One last chapter, one this chapter, two next chapter, one, three...
1: Does the Fibonacci sequence ever actually hit the number 17? Because we did today, just now. When one, we one,
0: two, three, five, eight, thirteen. 13. So probably 17 after that.
1: Who can well, say? We Fibonacci'd our way to the number 17 finger clenches.
0: I think the Fibonacci sequence is kind of like finding primes where we're waiting for the computer power to be able to find ones above 13. We know yeah. they're probably there, but who can say?
1: It's all like theoretical at this point, and we just have to guess.
0: Exactly. Just like where the center of a triangle is.
1: Triangles don't have centers. There's, you can't do the center of three. That's an odd number. I really hope we have some like major math nerds as <laughs> listeners. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So how long has this really been going on? They ride out for a while. A fair bit, but mm-hmm. a while. And then battle starts. Catherine jumps over a duder, stabs a duder. She jumps over a duder, looks at the battle, stabs a deuter. And then chats with her captain? Yes. I recognize that they're in a stressful position right now, as they're being slaughtered. It's rough, you know? Watch one of those documentaries that turns people into vegetarians. It's rough. But, I'm going to judge her captain here. I'm going to judge her people. No, I'm going to judge her captain here. Because she field-promotes her captain to a tribune, and says that they're going to have to collect the rest of her cohort before they retreat. Nobody suggests they go get the wounded because that's not happening. And then it reads: the man nodded, exhaustion showing for a moment, before the legion discipline kicked in and his face turned into a professional mask. And I get it. I wouldn't exactly envy their position of being slaughtered by super devils, but shouldn't your adrenaline still be working on you? This is not who you want to field promote to a tribune. Well, you need someone from Rat Company.
1: <laughs> it's important to remember, though, that you you mentioned adrenaline. They've been marching for a bell at night. So there is already the exhaustion of presumably having a full normal legionary day and then also going on a likely rapid march into territory that you cannot see and know is infested with horrors beyond imagination. That's going to wear on a fella. And then okay. a brief battle at the end.
0: Okay, but I have heard a lot of bells before. They don't ring that long.
1: Okay. Well, when you put it like that, you're right. This is this is the w- wrong promotion.
0: Luckily, Catherine meets someone worthwhile who will be sticking around for, I assume, the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. An old sergeant from Rat Company, who is now a lieutenant, Camilla, who's cool and we're going to start learning more about. Catherine has her lead her troops with her, telling her, then get your men ready, Lieutenant. We're going hunting, as they go to free up the rest of the cohort so they can flee. And even though some acting tribunes might be getting exhausted, for everyone else, a line like this, get your men ready, Lieutenant. We're going hunting, especially in a setting like this, probably serve both as a morale boost and also a bit of a fate booster. Hey, you used a cool line. You're a little more protagonist now.
1: Yeah, if she had said, get your men ready, Lieutenant. We're going to go get some more of them killed and hopefully survive the night. They're going to get shredded. This this puts them on the offensive. It gives them the momentum, them the initiative. This is, this is where they need to be.
0: And that's why things are going to work out so well for Catherine and Camilla, who is my favorite character in this story.
1: They move out in formation to... Uh, First, clear out what's within their own formation to be able to move. And then they move out and uh, we come across some fun new devils, which we're going to continue to do for a while now, including uh, one that some of us may recognize from classical Greek philosophy. It's Diogenes Man. There's a large skinless ape who comes and starts fighting them and is horrifying since it. Let's see here. Tears the throat of a, out of a man, just sort of... Oh, no, that's before that, sorry. Who is one of the unique devils, which is a, a level of concern that I wasn't really expecting. That there's hordes of devils that you just know what they are, and then also these weird ones that are just freaky, and you have to learn how to fight them every time they show up.
0: Did Diogenes just run into the forum holding a plucked chicken so that it would kill
1: Socrates? Yep, I think that is what happened. He. It was a plucked chicken that he threw at hmm i think listen i haven't studied ancient greek philosophers in a long time but i think that's what happened
0: i do have to know first of all catherine creates a shorthand for this a very solid one immediately and treats it as normal by just calling out skinless left great she directed everyone good Description, but also skinless. I want to note it doesn't say that this thing is a hairless ape, so I'm imagining a bunch of furry muscles. Just that's unpleasant. It, I'm sorry. Uh, I. Sh- this is on me. We were reading such a nice chapter, and I just made it weird, and I apologize.
1: Yeah. I. I the idea of hairy, like furry muscles, is very troubling to me. You know what's troubling to me? Hmm. Apes. Oh? I literally.
0: Of, no, I would not weep if all non-human primates disappeared. Wow. Even though I know Zaboomafu deserves life and is secretly immortal. Zaboomafu is not dead. And if anyone tells you that, they are liars and should be beaten. Uh, and for anyone who didn't grow up on American PBS, Zaboomafu was a lemur from a children's television show about nature.
1: Yeah, sort of the mascot of the show and... Everybody loves Zabumafu.
0: And I think the Krat brothers, who were Zaboomafu's pets, are still doing nature stuff now. But Zaboomafu has gone into hiding and faked his own death.
1: As lemurs are wont to do.
0: And I also would want to go into hiding and or die if I were to see, say, a skinless ape leering in a way that displays its oversized human teeth. And I don't know if it's saying that it actually has human teeth or if it's just an ape and therefore too human and also not human every primate other than like lemurs who are sufficiently bestial fall right in the uncanny valley for me i would rather really? walk the polar express than a gorilla dang it wow. they, are they are beasts of uh, beasts like in the beast 666 kind of sense as opposed to lemurs which are just beasts in the like kitty cat sense i do not like the monkey house at the zoo huh. Monkeys I have gone there with children, and they like to see the monkeys.
1: Gah. There are are like some primates that have extremely human faces, and those are a little uncomfortable. But the average one, like a, a gorilla or whatever, they just look like gorillas.
0: Okay. They just look like gorillas, and that's not scary enough? Remember when one kidnapped Jane Goodall and made her teach it how to speak? Hmm? Are you thinking of Tarzan? He does learn to speak in the movie, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, and he teaches the gorillas how to speak. That's why we can understand them.
0: So remember when the gorillas kidnapped Phil Collins and made him make another
1: spectacular album? Exactly. I do remember that, and now I'm on your side. Wait. But that was... I think we've lost the plot a little bit on this one. For the uh, first time in this did, podcast's ro- like run.
0: <laughs> as did physics, it turns out. Oh. Because the, the skinless ape throws a legionary it killed at Catherine. Catherine hilariously has time to think that she has time to wish that it had killed a human legionary instead of an orc, which is fair, before the body hits her shield like a load of a trebuchet. Please imagine for a second what will happen if it hits her with enough force. Wrong. Gritting her teeth, it says. I anchored my feet on the ground, but the impact was so ludicrously strong, it pushed me back a dozen paces, my armored feet dragging lines into
1: the ground. Okay, little Miss Anime. That's fun. Like, we thought Billy was the anime guy. Turns out Kat is. She knocks over a legionary in
0: doing so, but she's on her feet. Also, side detail, every time they cut this thing, maggots crawl out of it. Great detail. Keep it. Wonderful. Still better than a real-life monkey.
1: Well, maybe the maggots are why she slides so far. The ground is covered in maggots, and they're kind of squishy and lubricating. Mm-hmm. Nice, luby maggots. Oh, no! Uh, well, with that... Uh, just with that, uh, Catherine curses, but she gives us a rare at this point. But, you know, I- increasing in frequency. Uh... Gods below rather than gods above. She gives us a gods below and ever burning when she snarls.
0: Ooh, ever burning. Yeah. It's nice to So have some of that godlin fire then?
1: <laughs> Yikes. Uh, is that better or worse than Luby Maggots? It's worse because at least Luby Maggots is evocative. Godlin fire is nothing. <laughs> I would rather think about Luby Magnets. Magnets, apparently. Wow, this is just all over the place today. <laughs> I would rather think about luby maggots than the wordplay that gave me godlin fire.
0: Catherine then says that summoning devils should be illegal. Well, that shows you that she's really not integrated herself into the culture. Pardon? Because Pryce likes devils? Yeah. Who is, like, the most pracy heiress you know of? Ubwa. And, uh, I don't mean to imply she would ever summon devils or anything, but she totally is a devil summoner.
1: Then why doesn't her name reflect that?
0: You're right. I apologize. So Catherine duels this guy a bit. Every cut makes maggots fall out. It's fun. They're having a good time. And she tries to banter at it, and it replies, calling her Squire. Squire, please, Squire, it hurts. It hurts so much. But imagine I got a, like, three-year-old to say it, because it's a child's voice. One, mad creepy, good work. Two, Catherine wonders, was, was there actually a child in there under all the maggots? And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say no. Because where would it have gotten a kid?
1: Uh, good question. Doesn't she express concern later that it's actually just like the soul of some children kind of jammed in there? She does. That's fine. Right now she
0: says, was there actually a child? Fair. And children, you may know, are chubby little things that are definitely corporeal.
1: Yeah, but under the maggots,
0: you can fit. Yeah, children are usually in a layer of slime or maggots. Right, they're still chubby.
1: I mean, true. So yeah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll side with you that there's not just a human kid sitting inside of this maggot ape, maybe puppeting it like a like. Uh, what's that movie? M- Meet Dave. Is that the movie? Yes. Are you thinking of the Broadway musical Avenue Q. No, I was thinking of Meet Dave. Sesame
0: Street. Where the children are acting alongside a bunch of puppet costumes that are operated by and filled with maggots.
1: Yes, I was thinking of Sesame Street. Thank you.
0: For non-American listeners, Sesame Street is whatever Sesame Street is in your language. It's very widespread.
1: Fortunately, the maggots... Mario,
0: some of you have really weird big birds, and I'm here for that.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Big bird. There you go. Some of the maggots are pretty nasty in that they don't just fall out of the ape when it gets cut, but rather get a little squirmy and movie which makes them so much worse.
0: I mean, Catherine's doing sword stuff, you know? Cutting through flesh until it hit the bone. I felt the humorous break, but I couldn't go any further. Uh, okay, first of all, Catherine, this hasn't been humorous yet. It This is a scary battle. I know the podcast is hilarious, but try to separate the two. Secondly, Megan started crawling up my blade, and I hastily whipped it out, which almost makes her get hit as the ape tries to cave in her torso with its foot. Normally, freaking out over maggots in a battle feels like the wrong choice. Like, yeah, I find most larvae to be gross, including human children, which I love. They're great, fun to play with, and they are disgusting. They are always oozing and covered in maggots. But, when fighting these things, fireflies will explode your eyes. What are the maggots going to do?
1: Let's avoid them. So just so I'm, I'm, I want to keep all my taxonomy correct here. Human children are covered, are oozing and covered in maggots. Maggots are oozing and covered in lube, right? Yes. Yeah. I just sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between different things, so it's nice to have like a mnemonic device, which apparently that is now.
0: It's oozing, covering all the way down.
1: <laughs> Everything is just oozing and covered in something else, and eventually you find the base ooze. I think it's a gelatinous cube. Uh, yeah, probably. Planets are because if you go the other way, you get too big for a gelatinous cube. Because planets are oozing and covered in people, and universes are oozing and covered in planets. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this, but we've got there's, there's something to. We'll follow that chain another time in a later episode. I'm sure it'll come up again.
0: We'll have to get a physicist on so that we can impress some.
1: Oh, good idea. We'll get we, we need impress
0: Tyson, and then we could talk behind his back about how he's actually kind of a jerk.
1: So, we need a physicist for the oozing thing. We need a mathematician for the first, like, third of this episode for some reason. I think we, yeah, some guest experts might be a good idea.
0: And if any of you would like to be a guest expert and actually have a reason to be, I don't know, write in. Might happen. It'll be fun to talk. Yeah. So, they kill it, and Catherine, Catherine disables it, and then all her people hack it and kill it because, you know, just like in capitalism one person gets the glory and the rest of the people do the actual work
1: hunting devils is a lot like capitalism
0: i'm finding it hard to not find parallels oh (laughs) catherine tells camilla that you're getting rather good at this to which she replies practice makes perfect you know because they're legions and they're cool and catherine thinks about it for a bit That little sentence was the essence of the legions, wasn't it? The ironclad belief that as long as they remembered their training and kept the shield wall steady, there wasn't a force in creation or beyond they could not beat. What did it matter if they were facing angels or devils? So, Catherine, the thing about angels, as opposed to say devils, is you don't want to face them. I mean, I get that you face down some angels later on in a prologue chapter, just because, and it's very cool. But outside of that, d- devils are the choice. You want to fight devils
1: over angels any day. Even super devils. These are not the same scale. Devils are strong, nasty monsters, and they're no fun to fight. Angels are, I don't know, existential threats to cities alone. Also, I need to look something up. Also, you can build a the fantasy equivalent of a nuclear bomb out of angels. So,
0: uh, I mean, there's a reason that the prequel to the world-shattering documentary text, The Da Vinci Code, is called Angels and Demons, and not Angels and Devils. Also, I think my joke was hilarious at Stance, but I have to point out, The Da Vinci Code's actually terrible, and it's really stupid how big those books were in the early 2000s, because I don't care if you enjoy them, they're fine. They're fantasy texts, whatever. Not fantasy genre, but goodness. It's not like there's anything in them of substance.
1: Was their popularity inherent to the work or did they was it a retroactive popularity after there was a movie starring Tom Hanks about them? I don't recall.
0: Well, I personally recall that the Da Vinci Code actually was outsold only by Turf Rowling's Harry Potter and the Order of the Turf when it came out in two thousand three. So it was the second biggest book of the year. Hmm. Kind of important. All right. Fair enough. And it came out with all of this new research about making things up about how Leonardo da Vinci knew secrets about Jesus and Mary, who both died 1,500 years before him because of the secrets. Da Vinci
1: was a smart, smart man.
0: I do agree with that. Da Vinci was clever. Also, intelligence is pretend. Well, yeah. Also, you can't apply modern categories to the past, but it would be pretty safe with Da Vinci to just say, yeah, he was gay.
1: Oh, I guess I just don't know enough about Da Vinci.
0: He was the gay art scientist.
1: Oh, right, 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 right.
0: Who knew secrets about Jesus and Mary because of secrets. Hmm. But it looks like they are out of the woods, metaphorically.
1: Right. Out like of the woods. Taylor wood, Swift song. Out of the woods and into the worse woods, as the saying goes.
0: Oh, I, I can do this. So they're out of Lothlorien and into Mirkwood? Yeah, that's not bad. Yes! And that is a Narnia reference for everyone.
1: We don't get enough Narnia references on this podcast, so I appreciate your your diligent scouring of the text to find any possible relationship between A Practical Guide to Evil and The Chronicles of Narnia, apparently. the There's a moment that's very cheap jump scare from a horror movie that works really well here uh, because of the aforementioned foreshadowing coupled with the... Timing, the almost comedic timing, where comedic if it weren't so horrifying. Uh, Catherine says we're done here and is, uh, you know, getting her her soldiers moving. Let's get let's get going. Start back, marching back to Marchford. Camilla is thankful, sighs in relief. I'll go get the the tribute myself. Claps her sergeant on the so- shoulder, and then takes three steps before a giant snake bursts out of the ground and devours her instantly. It's. The kind of thing that visually works really well, and it's translated very well in a written medium. And I, you know, it's good stuff. I mean, sorry, Camilla, who we very much care about. I learned today, but good stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I, I gotta be honest with this. This is kind of a weaker death in that. Yeah, the character has sympathetic and story important ties. She's from rat company, and we recognize each other, and we, but we don't. We the reader, like, sorry, I. Oh yeah. I care about the moment because it's awesome, mm-hmm. and I think it's bad that one of Catherine's people died, but I don't care about their connection.
1: Right. The. Sorry. Which makes the line from the horrific faces all over the skin of this snake a little narratively weaker, I'm I guess. Sorry. What? Yeah, the giant snake thing has like human faces all over its skin. Um.
0: Oh, okay. I just didn't hear you. That's yeah. Yeah. That's what I was envisioning.
1: Uh, because it it swallows Camilla and then says, was she precious to you? Which, first of all, probably not. Like, Cat liked Camilla and was glad to see her and all of this, but precious is a strong word. And yet Cat is not pleased. She says that she feels rage in her bones, which, fair. I mean, somebody you know getting devoured and then you get taunted about it, not great. Uh, and I really do enjoy the devils, that they are just so willing to... Kill someone and then immediately (laughs) use creepy faces to taunt someone else who is actually potentially a threat, as it recognizes Catherine is actually being named.
0: So remember when Nilan died and Catherine changed her entire plan to just start hunting down and killing people, even though that was worse for her army. Yes. After that, she probably learned to not be so easily goaded into making poor choices, right? I'm kidding. Of we know she yeah. Right. So, the thing goads her, then says, come and play, named, and then just goes back into its hole. Now, if you ask me, that's kind of the end of it, because what are you going to do? If you ask Catherine, that's the start of it, because you know what she's going to do?
1: Is it jump in the hole?
0: Let's jump in the hole. Why? The thing about human beings is we're actually very good at making holes that we can function in because they're tunnels or bunkers or caves that we expand, or houses. Houses are kind of artificial holes, if you look at it the right way. We put new ground on top of us. Ooh, the the thing about our holes is we can walk in them. We are not slitherers.
1: It, this is a vertical hole. That Cath, what if the thing was 10 feet down with its mouth open? Catherine just dies, right? Like, Wait, this, which mouth? The big one. Oh, okay, then yeah. It's such a it's, it works out for her, kind of, but it's such a choice on her part.
0: Now, by working out for her, you mean that she kind of grabs it as it bursts into the air again, and so that she's dangling sixty feet up.
1: Right. I mean, that's right. She's got it right where she wants it.
0: No, I'm. She makes some assumptions about where it is. In fact, because still, there's a bunch underground. She's got there's a portion that's sixty feet in the air, and she thinks there must have been at least that much underground to support it. And it's not terribly relevant, but I think she's making assumptions with magical beings that she really can't how how do you know how this works? how that's not Does It doesn't matter. And also, you could be wrong. There could be an inch underground and it just is really sticky like I don't it's, care.
1: it's if it's sixty feet long, that's already a big enough scale that it doesn't matter how much more long how much longer it is than that, particularly.
0: If I saw a 60-foot tree, I wouldn't say its roots go down 60 feet. I would say its roots go really wide, and I'd be right. Maybe this thing just has really wide roots, which sounds like a joke, but actually, i that would be gross, so probably does.
1: Yeah, that's true. And But the flip side of that is it probably does have to have about 60 feet underground because it does otherwise pretty well conform to expected biological norms, right?
0: Hmm. Maybe. I never took biology, but I think I talked about that on this podcast. So I'll talk about it instead. It's biology. Catherine starts climbing around on it, using all of the faces it's made out of as handholds and stuff.
1: Oh, uh, but just I want to interrupt you real quick to say yuck and also ugh. Oh,
0: thank you. I neglected that part. Uh, but speaking of yuck and also ugh, uh, well... I had enough of a grip I could hug my body closer and slip my feet into another mouth and an eye socket. Oh, I had to kick until the eye fell off.
1: Uh, I'm sorry, fell off.
0: That is I mean that's evocative. That is
1: <laughs> no those way.
0: If I were playing with a toddler, uh-huh I would and they said its eye fell off. Sure, whatever. Toddlers say weird things with uncommon phrasing and you kind of correct for them in your head. And they also really like body parts coming off in the games they play. Hmm. Probably because they don't recognize it as horrific. But EE e. is a very proficient writer and writes what he means. Typos aside. And so... And if I may... I to
1: say, full agreement. So the thing just slams her into the ground. I mean, good choice from its perspective, I'd say. Yeah.
0: And it breaks her left arm and leg. Sure. And then Catherine, Catherine is so extreme because she, uh, her limbs are definitely severely wounded. Don't get me wrong. It is bad to be smashed. Right. And Catherine says, my arm and leg were, I blinked, then rasped out a laugh. As good as dead. And she just necromancers to them. And like, I don't think even by the rules of auto-necromancy, which aren't even rules, That just smashing them a bit means they're actually sufficiently dead. I think it's just straight cheating, and I love this for her.
1: I fully agree, and as we'll see next episode, so does Ziz, it makes zero sense, but you know what? Catherine just does what she wants. And what I want
0: is to just note, remember when I said she'd catch a break earlier? These were the breaks. Uh,
1: Oh, look at that. Oh, Wow.
0: Anyway she kills the thing.
1: Right. She um punches it in the head with her name and it dies.
0: I think it was probably actually a sharper. She punches with sharper sometimes.
1: Remember, she punches with sharper power. She absorbed sharper. Oh, by punching. She Mega Mans it.
0: So now she yeah. has
1: eating her troops power? Yes. She has the ability to eat people who are from Rat Company.
0: That feels of increasingly limited use as the uh, casualties rack up, Ooh. but okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, But anyway, she falls with the thing, it dies, she lands, stands up, realizes she's a dozen feet from her cohort, and to end the chapter, she croaks out, I don't remember telling you to stop retreating. Gotta say, you compared her to an anime character before, this is like... Action Hero 101, defeat the horrific giant monster, fall from the sky, tumble to your feet, stand in front of your subordinates, and act like nothing has happened and they should just keep doing the last order you gave them. It's very good and a great way to end the chapter, which is great because that means it's also a great way to end our episode.
0: Join us next week on Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata as we discuss... Swords. Spears. And one big bow, baby! Indrani is a bow, baby, isn't she?
1: (laughs) Wade in their blood.
0: Cats guys talking Radagarata It's a fan made podcast discussing Radic Arata, it's a practical guide to evil. Check out the full serial at practical to evil Intro music for this episode was Cradle of Your Soul by Lemon Music Studio. Music for the epigraph was Marionettes by Lexa Music. Deicide music is Always Safe Ads by Toby Lane. Outro music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine, is the Price of Freedom by Daddy S Music. The music is provided by the generous license of pixabay.com music. Go to support all the artists who make this work possible by writing their stories and sound Free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the Long Price. Do you have questions, comments, contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? Email us at TheLongPrice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com slash p-g-t-e-e. Join the ranks of our patrons and we call by name, receive personalized stories and art, and access to a few things. We haven't updated that part for bit so you know nothing new we implore you don't consider joining unless you're already supporting all the artists who make this possible special thanks to our patron and villainous hero gray our patron and liege always the claimant never the named our patron and guardian the fey knight our patron and mentor the traveling teacher our patron and dear friend aaron our patron and inspiration the hopeful romantic as well as the hordes of cattle below next week chapter 24 Archer. And, uh, have you ever seen Peter Jackson's King Kong?
1: Oh, because of the ape?
0: Weirdly. No. Do, do you think they're going to realize that I haven't seen that film?
1: That, that is a little... I have seen the movie, strangely. Wow. I wonder why we wrote the line this way, then. Seems like kind of an oversight, huh? Eh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, though, because if there's one thing I know about us, it is that we are just absolutely obsessed with sticking to a format at the expense of everything else.
0: format's the only thing we respect.
1: Truly. If we stopped respecting that, we'd stop respecting literally everything.
0: I don't respect you. You don't respect the listeners, clearly. so All very true. Irrespective of that, uh, let's get back to recording. Oh, yeah. Good idea.